Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Jason Jones of The Daily Show. Um, so let me give you a little background uh, to what we're talking about here today. Uh, in 2009, uh, The Daily Show, the show I work for, sent me to Iran to do a series of exposés on the country and why it was so incredibly evil. And uh, we filed a series of reports, and uh, then something happened there. A, a massive fraud and vote rigging happened, and people rose up, and uh, a lot of people were arrested, including um, three people I spoke to, one specifically who's here today with us, uh, a guy named Maziar Bahari, and he was imprisoned in a place called Evan Prison for 118 days, and uh, he was, uh, it was it wasn't a fun experience for him. So uh, he... Uh, uh, wrote, wrote a book about it, about his experience, and then this guy named John Stewart, you may have heard of, wrote uh, a screenplay based on that book, and then he uh, directed a feature film, which uh, you are about to watch the trailer for. So please enjoy the trailer for Rosewater. I'm going to miss you. It's crazy how, like, you're one month pregnant and you're already like this. Go away. It's just one week. Welcome to Iran. Are you here for business or pleasure? I'm a journalist. I'm covering the elections for Newsweek magazine. Ahmadinejad is devoted to the Supreme Leader. Ahmadinejad is what must be. Don't you want to report the other side? We are the educated. So you're a student? We are the educated. Welcome to Dish University. Why did you put away your camera when you saw the satellite? There are certain situations that if you film them, it won't do your friends or the movement any good. Tensions are rising in Iran. The election has ended in controversy. What are you doing? Fighting back! You gotta get killed, come on! You have a real weapon and you choose not to use it. Stand up. We are here now. Sir, can you tell me why I'm here? That's what happened to foreign spies caught on Iranian soil. You are a spy. Who are you working for? The CIA? Newsweek. Am I six? You will tell them nothing. There's nothing to tell. Where's Anton Chekhov? Anton Chekhov? The, the playwright? Yeah, you tell me. It is you who has listed the interest of him on Facebook. You must not just take his blood. You must take his hope. Your wife will never see you again. Your child, your child will never know you. Fight, Ozzy. Use your freedom. Use their weakness. <laughs> what are you doing? They locked you up, but you're still free. In their hearts, they know they cannot win. So as you can see, it's a comedy. Uh, so please join me in welcoming the uh, real Maziar Bahari and the fake Maziar Bahari, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and Maziar Bahari. 
sir. Sir. Have a seat, gentlemen. Okay, uh, so uh, first question goes to Maziar. Maziar. Wait, which one's Maziar? I can't tell. It must be this guy with the cinematic good looks. Uh, uh, what is it like uh, having your life cinematized? Do you, is, do you buy it? Uh, but the thing is that it's always weird to have to see your life on the screen, and it usually happens to people like Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, people of that stature who are dead. Mm -hmm. So Often they're not around I'm, to see it. Yeah, exactly. So I'm happy that I'm not dead, but I'm not Gandhi or Mandela, right. unfortunately, or not, nor Jason Jones. So. Well, no one is. Uh, is no, but what is it? What is it? Do you, do you feel it's cathartic watching this, or is it absolutely traumatizing watching it? It is, of course, cathartic, because I think it's the continuation of the process that started in prison when I, in my solitary confinement in the interrogation room, I always promised myself that whenever I come out, I'm going to talk about this, not only what happened to me, but what happens to journalists and activists all around the world, including Iran, and even during the worst uh, times of interrogation, I was trying to write the book in my head. And as you remember, as soon as I came out, I wrote a very long Newsweek article. I was just taking mental notes in prison, and then uh, as soon as I came out, I just transcribed it. And people ask me whether it's opening old wounds. Is it opening old wounds? It's not. It's actually healing old wounds. Really? Yeah. This is does. healing it. I think it's very uh, soothing because I've, I have friends who've gone through similar experience and they're still very traumatized by the experience because they have kept it, kept it to themselves and they do not talk about it. They do not share that experience with others. Right. And uh, have, has your family seen the movie? Yes, yeah, yeah, they love Be it. Yeah, yeah. They did, they did like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they like you know, it. I mean, you can tell them, you know, what you went through, but then seeing it on screen and seeing what you went through, does that not drudge up a lot of horrific feelings for them? No, I think it, they're very proud of the film because I think uh, the film gives a new platform to all of us to talk about the issues that we care about. But also, I think what the film does, I hope that you guys will see the film uh, either tomorrow or. Uh, from, on, from Friday on, that it shows a new image of Iran, in a vibrant generation of young Iranians who are trying to be like kids all around the world. They, I mean, you remember I when do. you were in Iran that you know, they're normal people, but the way that they're portrayed in the media, especially in Hollywood films, usually it's very black and white, mm -hmm. that you know, they're all act like Ahmadinejad, you know, death to America, death to Israel, they're very angry, but in the first half of the film, you see a totally different, nuanced image of Iran. Yeah, I mean, even Argo, they were the bad guys, the, the Iranian bad guys. Yes, they were, yeah, and Argo you know, was not one of the worst, uh, uh, you know, personification of Iranians. I mean, when you think about, like, Not Without My Daughter, right. and, you know, 24, so... Yeah. And Gael, you are, uh, you've played a lot of real-life characters before, actual people, I should say. The, the, the Pinochet guy, the, you played Che twice, I believe. Um, che Guevara. In case there was another Che you were thinking of. Um, che Bahari. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
what was it? I mean, I'm assuming they weren't on set. No, though, they no, were not. What was it like <laughs> having the person that you were playing uh, being on set yeah. saying, "No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it that way." That's well, not. That's not how I would say. Exactly. It. Yeah, it kind of seems more daunting uh, the experience of, of having uh, uh, the person be there. But I mean, uh, Che Guevara. Come on. I mean, he's he was there. Mythological. Right. Uh, no, of course. Yeah. And it is a bigger weight in that sense of like. There's everybody has an interpretation of Che Guevara, sure. and everybody has a, a so everybody has an ownership of that character, and anyone can stand up and say that's a lie. No, they, he would right. never do that. And uh, and Maziar kind of did that a few times during the shoot. <laughs> did he? Did no, he, no, no, he, no. Especially <laughs> with the dancing sequences. Exactly. I said, no, no, no. I wouldn't that's dance. That's not like how that. I would dance. He's exactly. dancing yeah, too well. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but it was great to, I mean, having Maciar there was, um, first of all, everything comes from his interpretation of what he went through. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it is a film based on the book, on, his, uh, on the memoir, which the memoir itself, it is, not, um, it is horizontal, it is not vertical, it is not a, 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 uh, like an account of uh, hour per hour of what he went through. It is a much more. It's an an afterwards like hindsight interpretation of everything that happened, and and obviously it leads to an another bigger sort of scope, which makes it more more human, more more approachable, and more about the big issues rather than just about his experience. So that I would grab from that from that bigger those those bigger elements, let's say of uh, uh, of uh, uh, hope, despair. Uh, what it means to be tortured, what, 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 what is torture in a way, what, what is the relationship and why are we, how did we get to this place? And that I can, I can abstract it from the context itself, but also from even Maciar's experience uh, and to place it into, into another, you know, a more kind of, a, uh, into another fable in a way. And that's the one I, I interpreted because it was also John Stewart's interpretation and everything. And, um, the only thing that we kind of remade was uh, the interview that you guys <laughs> sort of had. That is true. That was the only documented proof exactly. of what went on there. Yeah, the yeah. rest of it, I'm sure, was all lies. By the way, the actor who plays <laughs> Jason's role in the film, he's amazing. I think he should win an Oscar in the film. He's, he, his name is Rob Riggle. He's terrific. Um, but you brought up this John Stewart guy who I'd love to meet one day. Uh, he's first-time director. What was that like? Because normally first-time directors are terrible. <laughs> yeah, no. In the case of of John, he's uh, I mean, he's very used to, at, of working with a lot of, with a big group of people. Uh, he he is a natural leader and and a very mellow and kind of uh, I don't know. I mean, you have more experience working with him than I do, but uh, no, no, no. I I know <laughs> what he's like. I, I mean, yeah, I saw yeah. the difference between what he's like running his show and what he's like running but, his uh, film. What set. is the difference? He knows what he's doing on one. <laughs> <laughs> this is on tape, right? But that's the thing with film. Yeah, I mean, you, you film things and then you see how they're going to come out. You know, you're not looking for... You're, you're feeling it. You're, it kinda, it's working. Let's try something else. Let's try something else. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then afterwards, you'll see how it comes together. So I think... I mean, that, that's one of the, the... Amongst the many things that he was uh, sort of introduced to. Uh, the first thing that he kind of got from an instant. It was like, okay, I can try out many things, I can change things, and later let's see how it looks. Maybe it's not gonna be part of the movie. And, uh, and uh, that, that gives a, a director a strong sense of um, loneliness. Yes. <laughs> of, uh, of not being able to control everything. 
but also uh, in John's uh, nature, there is something about this collaborative effort that he always puts out there, and then he Im he involves people to to go through through this kind of um, the the story that he wanted to tell. So he was very good at putting us there and and taking us into that journey. And also, whenever he knew his limitations in terms of, or or whenever he had a doubt of of any kind, he would approach and ask, like, is this okay? Is this kind of working? Or or he would see something that seemed strange and. He would say, is this normal in the film set and stuff? And he's like, no, actually, the building is on fire. Oh, okay, okay, no, yeah, let's put it. <laughs> you know, I mean, he would be very good at kind of, um, it's common sense as well. I mean, he's a good director with a lot of common sense. Right. So what I'm hearing, the subtext there is he's a bad director, and you could do whatever you wanted. Good. Um, so we're going to show a little clip, the one that uh, Mazier thinks I'm going to win an Academy Award for. Um, the, uh, it is the reenactment of uh, Maziar and I's uh, original piece from 2009 um, that is sometime during the movie when you see this next week or tomorrow or Friday. As a spy, I'm just trying to figure out why your country is so terrifying. You know, the first thing to know about Iran is that it is not evil. Actually, Americans and Iranians have a lot of things in common more than they have differences. What do I have in common with you? What is the number one enemy of the United States? Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is also the number one enemy of Iran. Uh, Al-Qaeda members say that if you kill an Iranian, or if you kill a Shiite, you go to heaven and you get 72 virgins. Well, they won't be virgins for too long, huh? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Upstairs. So there's, you don't have to clap. It's appreciated, but not necessary. Uh, uh, <laughs> so that, that, that gives you a little insight into uh, how we do our pieces over there. Uh, we say, hey, don't laugh, because we would never use that, because it's, it's not funny. And Maziar was very helpful to us when we went over there. Uh, we had almost no interviews lined up, and we sat down in a cafe with Maziar, and he said, oh, you have to talk to this guy. This guy will talk to you. Oh, no, you'll never get access to this guy. Don't even bother. Um, so for that, I thank you, and for uh, getting you thrown in jail, I'm sorry. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that they became suspicious of this clip of my presence on The Daily Show was that I was doing, uh, I was making a BBC documentary. You remember I was in the hotel room, and yep. we met in the lobby for five or ten minutes, and I was giving Jason and his producer different names name of politicians, a rapper, uh, different people, you know, this person speaks English, the other one. And unbeknownst to all of us, I was being monitored. So uh, for the intelligence agents who were watching us, they thought that I was passing information, which was really public information. It wasn't like if you come to New York and you say you can interview, I don't know, this uh, politician or that actor, or you can go to uh, that restaurant. You know, it wasn't anything you know surreptitious that I was doing. But of course, they put two and two together, and they realize it's 22. So you know, it was. Yeah. Are you saying they can't do math in Iran? Is that what you're saying? Some of them can't, but it's not unique to Iranians, actually. I mean, just imagine how many Americans think that every Muslim, every person who goes to the mosque is a terrorist. I think it's a lot of Americans. Lots of Americans. Sadly. And among those Americans are FBI agents, CIA agents, agents, police officers. So 
for the Iranians, for the Iranian intelligence agents who spend most of their time in dark room, in dark interrogation rooms, beating people, uh, insulting them, lying to them, anyone who has any kind of dealing with foreigners is a spy. So I think ignorance and stupidity, unfortunately, it's universal and eternal in a sense. Um, so that so we, we filmed this clip and then uh, Maziar was jailed. 118, did I say that right? 118 days. Um, and while he was in jail, he was uh, interrogated by this guy who colloquial noun is known as Rosewater. And uh, he, uh, he did something, he did a lot of outrageous things, uh, but one of the most uh, comically outrageous is uh, uh, our next clip that happens in the movie as well, so. Sir, you're making a big mistake. I am a journalist, that's it, nothing more. Just a journalist. Yes. As a spy, I'm just trying to figure out why your country is so terrifying. The first thing to know about Iran is that it is not evil. Americans and Iranians have a lot of things in common more than they have differences. <laughs> what do I have in common with you? So can you tell me why <laughs> just uh, journalists meet up with this American spy on the evil unrest? He's not a spy. He's not a spy? He's, no, it's a show. It's a show? A comedy show. It's, it's stupid. It's, it's very stupid, yes. He's a comedian pretending to be a spy. So can you tell me why American pretending to be a spy had chosen to interview you? And why would a real spy have a TV show? I'll, I'll answer that question. Because <laughs> it's the perfect cover. Cat's out of the bag, folks. I'm a spy. Uh, uh, tell, me, tell me about th those scenes. Because a lot of this movie takes place in that interrogation in room. Uh, um, what was that like? Did, how long were you in the rooms? And... Did it actually feel like torture? Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, that, yeah, be, being caught in, in um, I did a film once where, where I had to be in, uh, we had to shoot like three weeks in a car, four weeks in a car, only in the car. Every day was going into the car, you know, and everything was being shot there. And, and, uh, and I mean, yes, you, you come to a point where you go like, you, you get, tired of, of this space and of all the angles that you can get only, you know, and and you get get frustrated as, as sometimes because you don't have many elements to play with as well. Um, but definitely, I mean, you, you immediately think, okay, well, I mean, uh, what we're talking about is a film where, where Maziara was put into, uh, into solitary confinement. And this is 0.00001% uh, of that experience of being in the same place every day, uh, sort of facing a, a wall, uh, having your eyes covered. Uh, so even from the frustration, we would grab something there to to uh, to hold on to and to play as well. I mean, and uh, because you you're always doing that as an actor, no? You, fictitious elements, you're converting them into some sort of real kind of emotions in a way. And um, and so we would we would uh, uh, grab from that, and it was the, it was a pretty hard. Three, uh, two weeks that we were, no, like two or three weeks, no, yeah, yeah, that it was every day there and and uh, and having Kim shout at me and uh, I went out drinking with him. He uh, he shouts a lot. He shouts so a lot. I got a little yeah, sense yeah. of what you experienced. 
So yeah, he was. Some really, of that shouting was filmed, but most exactly, of it was right. not filmed. <laughs> exactly. So even even when, when it was off, when we were not shooting, he would still be shouting. <laughs> so it was good to keep on character. He you likes know, shouting. He yeah, does yeah. like to shout. Yes, yeah, yeah, about yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah. Pass me the pistachios. <laughs> Uh, but I think for the people who were involved in the film and for people who go through that experience, it just uh, give them a different perspective. I mean, I've lived most of my life in the West and I'm used to many comfort that uh, people living in the West, uh, they're used to. So, I mean, sometimes when I'm in the subway and it's crowded and if it's hot, you know, I just say, oh my God, it's torture. But having come, uh, go, gone through this experience, I don't say, you know, torture you in don't use those words anymore. anymore. You know, I said, you know, I don't say that anymore, you know. And it's like, oh, this is like prison. No, this is not <laughs> like prison, really. You have, you know, you have been in prison. So I think it gave uh, all of us a different perspective as well. Um, I think we're going to open it up to a couple questions from you, you people now, uh, because uh, you're here. So, anyone has a question for either of these two young gentlemen? Thank you all for being here today. Um, just it's a two-part question. First, do either of you wish that the interview had never happened? I'm sure you get asked the question all the time. Or do you think that maybe it's shined the light of injustice on something that people weren't aware of as, as much in this country? And secondly, because it was your lives, did did John Stewart, was he, were you creatively involved in the day-to-day -day process of making the film, or was he more of an auteur and just consulting you like, in a participatory way, or were you all directly involved in the creative process on a day-to-day -day basis in the making of the film? Thank you. Well, in terms of the interview, I think the interview was quite innocent. I wasn't saying anything that was provocative and... Well, if I can read back an email that you wrote to me. I brought a email chain. Yeah, here. but because because when when all this stuff started going down, uh, we were very cautious because you know people were dying in the streets and there's nothing really funny about that. So when we were airing the pieces, we there was it was an edit. We were heavy on the edits. We cut a lot of what we shot there. We were there for ten days and we had a lot of footage and we aired four pieces. Um, so I wrote to Maziar saying, this this guy named Abtahi who was a, a cleric. Uh, a mula? Was it mula? Yeah, mula. Cleric. Yeah. Um, I said, do you have any concerns about airing our interview in light of what happened to Mr. Abtahi? Uh, I'd hate to get anyone in more trouble for the sake of a few jokes. Uh, Mazier said, wrote back to me saying, I have no problem with showing my interview, especially the part where I call Ahmadinejad a moron. So uh, I think this absolves me of yeah. any guilt whatsoever. But the thing is that uh, they had a scenario for me. They wanted to incriminate some people within the Iranian government, like this cleric Abtahi, who are reformists through people like me who worked with Western organizations. I was supposed to be this uh, media con conduit as uh, between these reformists and Western intelligence agencies. I mean, you really cannot be prepared for this kind of stupidity. I mean, none of us knew that this could be used as an evidence. And it's ridiculous that it was used. And for your second question, uh, in the beginning, John didn't want to write or direct the film. He wanted to just uh, produce it. And we looked for different writers, for different directors. We approached different people. Uh, he approached some people, I approached some people. But they were either busy doing, I don't know, 
Fast and Furious 29, is it? Which is supposed to be better than 28. It's actually 56. 56, oh, I'm sorry. I missed 27 of them. So and then uh, some of them wanted a lot of money. And it took about a year and a half when John just said, you know, screw it. We cannot really uh, wait for people to make up their minds. I will just write it, let's work on this together. And by then, we had monthly conversations, weekly telephone conversations, emails exchanged. So he knew this story in and out, uh, inside out. And uh, when we started talking, I had just started writing the book. So it was uh, a very collaborative effort. And on the set as well, he was very open to collaboration. As Gael said, he was very open to ideas. So, uh, Gail, did you uh, get a, a boot camp in, in mannerisms and behavioral uh, patterns that you were supposed to express that would capture him perfectly? And did he get all your quirks down? Well, the, I mean, uh, a little background. I'm from Mexico. You know, uh, I've never been to Iran. So that, to begin with, would never... I mean, and we're different people, so... <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm an actor, you know, so we, we have to resign to the fact that I'm not going to be uh, exactly uh, the character I'm going to uh, in real life, of course. And, um, and there were other things that, that, uh, that were also at play, which is like this is the interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation. And, 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 and basically, we, uh, just the, the, the cocktail of all the people that worked in the film created and I mean we were shooting in Jordan in Amman so you know it is not we were not shooting in Iran we were not shooting in in Farsi as well uh, so there were many things that that were uh, other tones other like keynotes no that that were uh, used in the in the film so I I would grab from certain things of of uh, of Maziar uh, but basically what I would uh, what I would most try to sort of get inspired by or, or grab from, it was his experience that he put in the book. Um, it sounds very biblical, but I went to the book every time. You know, every time in doubt, I went to the book. Like it was like, and every time I improvised in a way also, uh, because there was a lot of room for improvisation and stuff, uh, uh, it would be from, from the book as well. Like um, uh, that scene when, when, uh, when the, uh, they offer you to, to to speak uh, with Paola, oh, yeah. uh, that y you felt this strong sense of gratitude, but in the in the film it wasn't. But then I ended up saying thank you, uh, just because it came out and it felt like, you know, so so certain things. Uh, it w I would it would it would be a great kind of um, a background, psychological background and an emotional background for the character to to grab onto and from there. Explode, but um, I tried to get the glasses. The glasses were the no, were kind of. You're still in character, I see. Exactly. <laughs> tried to get the glasses and the and the gel as well, uh, the hair gel because uh, yeah, yeah, the gel exactly. Yeah, no, I have to be specific. It was the hair gel because if there's one thing that unites Mexicans and Iranians is the hair gel. Hair gel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They love hair gel. They yeah. love hair gel. We love hair gel. It is true. It, I've been to both places. Yeah, they yeah. love their gel. They love their gel. I think if everyone yeah. could just wear <laughs> yeah. gel around the world, we would have we would have world That's peace, what's going to really. bring us all together. Actually, uh, hair gel. Yeah, if it wasn't for Mexico Su -su -su or Iran, hair gel would be extinct. 
No, so Dalai Lama is coming yeah, to yeah. speak at NYU next week, and he's even using hair gel. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lucia. I'm an undocumented activist, and just to see the way the film has been played, and the question goes for both of you. Uh, Gael, how did you feel the fact that you had to play, and it goes similar to you know, someone who wasn't Mexican, because I follow a lot of your movies, and you play a lot of Spanish, you know, uh, folks, and then for Maciar, how did you feel that it wasn't someone, you know, it's a Latino person who's playing your character? Well, uh, uh, sorry, uh, when you said Spanish, what? Sorry, Salt? not did Spanish, Latina. Latino. Uh, or Mexican, okay. you're, you're, you're not playing someone, yeah. obviously Maciar is, isn't Latino. Okay, okay. So. But does I that mean, matter? Does that really matter? No, it doesn't matter. Oh, I'm wondering okay. how, no, do, I'm how, wondering how did you feel? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, it is uh, one of those things that um, uh, if I was, I mean, me playing a Finnish person, I would feel like, okay, Finland, whoa. Um, yes, I mean, maybe I don't, I mean, a Laponian character, uh, I would have to use a lot of, <laughs> I would not be able to use hair gel. So <laughs> that would get me out of my comfort zone, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't know how I would feel. I don't know if I would dare. So, <laughs> so no, just... Doing, I mean, Iran and Mexico are the antipodes in sense, almost geographical. No, I think it's Mexico and India more or less, but like it's very close, no, to, to, to India, Iran. Iran, whatever. India, Iran, yeah. Mexico, all Argentina, same, yeah. Latino. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> so the, in a way, the, there is a there is a strong connection in many ways. I mean, I found the, I felt it. I, you, you just have to um, get to get immersed in the culture in a sense uh, I've never been to Iran I would love to go one day it would be in, incredible I, I would love I would be fascinated to go there you've been I'm, there. I'm not sure you're allowed to go now that you're part of the Zionist conspiracy yeah well maybe but Gil Garcia Witz <laughs> we'll go together <laughs> but uh, but it doesn't feel uh, you know I'm an, I'm an actor in a way so I'm used to not be able to I mean, the character that they put forward to me is not from... I hardly... I've never played a character from where I'm from, from Guadalajara. I'm from Guadalajara, and I've never, because Guadalajara is kind of boring for everybody. Nobody does characters from Guadalajara, which I... Like, yeah, some justice to be done do, there. Do all the cartel yeah. leaders live in Guadalajara, don't they? A lot of them live there, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but they're it's not like from the there. Safe, I know it's the safest. Oh, they, oh they've moved there. They moved there. The real estate. Because, exactly. <laughs> live up on the hill. I get it. I've been there. It's the safest place in Mexico because they all live there. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, but it's a, it's a, there is no, I mean, as an actor, there is no difference. Like when you get to play an astronaut, an astronaut or a doctor, I mean, doctors study 15 years to become doctors or more, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to pretend. So it's just like when you're a little kid and say like, a, when you make the voice of an architect and you're playing a kid and all of a sudden you, the architect arrived, you know? And it is like that. It's a, it's a game like that. I mean, it's more serious. It's more... Um, I want to see that movie. Artistic. <laughs> the architect. Garcia is the architect. I don't know if we can build this, but Wait let's a try. minute. <laughs> and I, yeah, exactly. But the film tells a universal story. And actually, John, uh, in the beginning, because uh, he really wanted to be... Uh, true to the story, he wanted to make the film in Persian with Iranian actors, and I was the person who persuaded not to do that. And I thought it can have a bigger audience if the film is in English. And now the film is a good film uh, with a universal story, and Gael is from Mexico, 
My father is played by a Turkish actor. There are two Iranian uh, actresses. Uh, Nasser, who plays Rosewater's boss, is Egyptian-American. Kim Badnia, who plays Rosewater, is Danish. So it's a real uh, multinational cast of great actors telling a universal story because Yes, the film is based on my story, inspired by my story, but it's really the story of thousands of journalists who are going through the same thing everywhere, all around the world, in Egypt, China, Russia, different countries. And that's exactly, sorry, I, I was almost banalizing the, the, the answer as well, but, but there is no, but there is one thing that did really uh, connected immediately as well with, with the story, is that uh, amongst the many, many conclusions and, and, and uh, thoughts that Maziar came out of prison with after his experience. One of them is, uh, is about the, pr the protection and the persecution that power has against journalists. And uh, that definitely hits home very strongly. I mean, uh, in Mexico, but not, there's not put a Latino term, like Mexico in particular is uh, one, uh, one of the most dangerous places for journalists. And, uh, and that is something that I, that I, that I, I mean, I, I completely understand the, 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 the necessity of and, and uh, how to, to shine the light into this issue because uh, without journalists, uh, there's very few stories are gonna be told about all these people that, and about all the injustices that go on in, in a place like Mexico or anywhere in the world. Hi, my question is for Mr. Bahari. Um, the, in the jail, the imaginary conversation with father and the sister, how real it is in the real life? Uh, it's, it's exactly like uh, what it is in the film and in the book I describe it as well because uh, when you are put in a solitary confinement, they basically deprive you of all your senses. You cannot see anything except for the walls around you. You cannot touch anything except for the walls. Every th all your senses are basically contained and all your senses are imprisoned as well. So what you have to do is basically you have to go inside yourself and you have to use what uh, all your life experience, your, the memory of your family, the conversations that you've had, the places that you've traveled to, culture, music, literature, and everything. So uh, because my father and my sister, they had both been imprisoned in Iran, for their political activities, my father in 1950s and my sister in the 1980s. Uh, we had had many conversations before I was arrested. So those conversations became uh, part of this, uh, these dialogues that I had with their, uh, let's say, with their image that I had in my head. Some of them were real conversations that we had, some of them were just conversations that I concocted in my head, yeah. Did you feel you were going crazy? No, because I was... Or was it a, was it a, a, it a coping was, mechanism almost? It was a coping mechanism because I was doing it intentionally. It was not, not as if I was hallucinating. Right. I, I never went crazy, but I became somehow a few times suicidal because you know you feel alone. and. You, you can have these imaginary conversations and you can go through all the films and the books you've read, but still, you know that you're surrounded by these walls. How close did you come in terms of... Mm, it was just maybe... Was that the passing thought or was it... Passing thought for a few seconds, really, yeah. As you see in the film, it wasn't anything that 
I never tried anything, no. Because uh, I knew I had made up my mind that I was coming out and I was going to do these kind of things. I was going to uh, write a book, an article, talk about it. So I had a sense of mission even inside prison. Rather than this being a period at the end of a sentence in a way, I'm just wondering if either of you or any of you have a suggestion of which organization or a couple organizations that you think it would make sense for people who are here to log on to, to support, in order to push this conversation further and to be supportive of our journalists' safety as well as to be supportive of, of being on the right side of history, if, you, if, if any of you have a favorite. Well, there are many organizations that you can be involved in. Pro Committee to Protect Journalists is one of them, which is based in New York. Uh, we have an organization for Iranian journalists uh, called uh, journalismisnotacrime.me, M-E. And there is a reporter, Sans Frontieres, uh, which is also international. There is Index on Censorship. And there are many, many organizations. And I think, pardon? Article 19, yes, there are, you know, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, they all uh, help journalists. But I think it's very important to just uh, appreciate what many journalists are going through these days, that, you know, this is a very difficult time in journalism history when many big organizations, they are cutting their budgets, they cannot send uh, their correspondence to places like Syria or Iraq, which they used to do that uh, prior to the 19, uh, 90s, maybe. And these days, freelancers are replacing those professional journalists. They do not have the protections that these big organizations provide them. I was very lucky that I had Newsweek, BBC, Channel 4, many other uh, organizations supporting me at the stage of and stage an amazing campaign for me in order to get me out. Many journalists do not have that support, so I think we should really appreciate uh, the, the work of those journalists. I think another, another, and this, I mean, not mentioning organizations, but something that the film points out at the end is that uh, is something that, that Masiar uh, suffered, went through, and, and uh, and came out realizing, and, and actually I've, I've had the opportunity to, to understand that in a way by doing this film, uh, that uh, placing the question on, on, on saying that solitary confinement is torture, is a way of torture, and it's a, something that's systematically practiced all over the world, even in the most sophisticated democracies. In and this uh, country. Yeah, this country and everywhere. I mean, it happens everywhere, and it is a, it is a, uh, like um, a very. Uh, it is meant to be for correction, no, but uh, but the fact that it exists, it can also be used to torture someone and to make someone guilty, and it's a very effective way of torture. It is depriving people from their senses. It is depriving people from any hope, whatsoever, and they will admit to anything. So it is not uh, just process in a way uh, for for uh, people that are in that situation, and uh, and that is something that is it's you know I mean we're we're talking about it now and it's com commonly practiced everywhere and it's not even 
I mean, I think it. Uh, we, I hope that in uh, in a few years' time we will be very surprised at how the hell th was this still going on, this common practice of solitary confinement, as a way to reform or punish or kind of, you know, because it's it is used as torture. It is used in that sense. Uh, we're good. Okay, that's uh, unfortunately all the time we have. These guys are busy and have to do things. I'll stay here all day and take your questions. Uh, but I want to thank Gael Garcia Barnell and Mazia Bahari for stopping by and participating. No, who cares about it? Uh, participating in this great film, uh, written and directed for the screen by Mr. John Stewart. Uh, go out and see it uh, Friday, right? Friday. Friday in theaters, somewhat everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Go look for it. It's a good movie. Thanks for coming. <laughs>